good news. And the good news is this, uh, maybe three weeks ago or so, we talked to you about Operation Christmas Child through Samaritan's Purse and the, and the hope that we could send a thousand boxes to children overseas that they would not only receive a box, but this year uh, with those boxes would be a discipleship book called The Journey of Hope. And for $16,000, we could ship the boxes and provide every one of those children with a book. And so we asked the Lord, that would he raise up from this body? Uh, $16,000, and in the first week, we, we told you we had 10000 given, very, very grateful. Uh, since then, though, uh, the Lord has brought more in, and we've almost lapped ourselves with just under $31,000 for your, uh, so super grateful for that. It just reminds me again of, when I say the Lord provided, I understand, he provided it through you. And our world is full of stuff to buy. And yet the scripture says he has given us all things richly to enjoy. And one of the greatest ways to enjoy what God has given us is to, to be able to share it with others. So I just want to say thank you again for being a body that's responsive to the Lord, a body that cares for one another as you care for one another so well, and a body that cares about the holy name of God across the globe. So grateful for that and thankful because we really do believe that there will be the good work of God done through these books, through the proclamation of the gospel, and young hearts that will transform entire families with the gospel. So it's a great thing that we get to be able to participate in, and thank you for your part in that. So we are four weeks into now this new series called Discipleship. And a disciple, we've simply defined as this. There's lots of different ways you could define it. I got another definition sent to me this week, which was, which was a good one. And uh, we said it's simply a person striving to become like their leader. That's the simplest definition. A person striving to become like their leader. And our leader is Jesus Christ. And so we, discipleship is striving to become like Jesus. And we've described it as a journey here at the chapel in four parts that we begin dead in our sins and then we need to be raised up. When we're raised up, we become infants in Christ, so we need to grow up. And when we grow up, we become this incredible, joy-filled, serving, praying, celebrating family represented around, you know, kind of like the public's table, if you know what I'm talking about. You get near Thanksgiving, you get a, see a heartwarming commercial starting, you go, oh, this is Publix, even before they let you know. <laughs> but that's the idea of that there's, at the table, there's, there's love and being loved, there's serving and being served. And it's a great place, but to, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, to be striving to be like our leader, there's a need to get up from the table and become a multiplier. So you might see these three movements, raised up, grow up, get up like this. To be raised up, to become a disciple. To grow up, to be maturing as a disciple. And then to get up, to be multiplying disciples. That's kind of the journey. We've said what the Lord uses in our lives to move us from dead 
to thriving and multiplying, it's three things. People, God uses people. God uses the scripture. God uses our service because there's some things that we can only learn by actually being not only God's field where he's working in us, but being God's fellow worker where he's working through us. Some, in fact, some of our sweetest things we know about the Lord, we learn as we serve him. And then the fourth that I didn't know how to put on here, but that God always uses is pain. One of the ways that God moves us to become like Jesus because we are following a suffering leader. So it would be foolish to think that pain would not be part of our journey. But what we believe about pain is this, that nothing touches us which is not passed through the loving hands of our Heavenly Father. Nothing. And everything that does touch us is designed to make us more like Jesus. Everything. That's how we view the hard in our life of what God is doing. So it's these four processes of how God moves us. And then we took a week to look at the practices of a disciple. What do we do as disciples? And we boiled it down to this. We love God. And we love others. We love God how? By confession, by praise, and by regarding his word as better than all riches. Not just to know it, but to respond to it. And we love as we've been loved. We see a need and we meet a need. And as we were once lost and we were pursued and found, we pursue the lost and celebrate the found. That's the practices of a disciple. So here's something we've done. If you have a message memo, if you'll flip it over on the backside, for years I've written discussion questions, application questions, but for this discipleship series, we have remodeled, if you will, the process of what this looks like. And this is a, simply a discipleship guide that follows the practices. They give you each week a psalm to read in praise to the Lord of who, he's done, who he is and what he's done. And then an opportunity for specific confession. And then some scriptures that we've taught and to look at that will teach us what it means to be more like him. So we'll look back in praise, we'll look in and growing, and then we'll look forward toward application in terms of how will we love as we have been loved. That'll be unique each week on the back of our message memo. And here's, can I have your eyes for a second? Here's what I hope you'll do with it. At bare minimum, you'll work through it yourself. You might, as a married couple, say, let's do this together. Or you might, in your family group, go, Instead of doing the application questions like we used to do another study, let's work through this together and be growing together because God uses people. Let's grow together. Uh, or if you meet in a, a men's group or a women's group or something like that, this is not restrained to, restricted to one specific setting, but it's simply a guide to help us grow into Christ-likeness. One clarifier, this has all been way of review, I know, but I want you to see the big picture here. I've had a, a number of people <laughs> say, I, I, know, I know to be like Jesus, get to the stove, but duck, that's like exhausting. And so I want us to, to know two things. First, 
Remember where we ended two weeks ago. So this I labor, striving according to his power mightily at work within us. So remember, this is the work of the Lord. This is the work of the Lord. And this is the work of the Lord. We're not just seeking to be busy. We're seeking to be empowered, fully devoted, spirit-empowered Christ followers. So let's allow that serving of the Lord to teach us to live according to divine enablement. Second, every analogy, every illustration has its weakness. And I think this idea that when we get up from the table to become a multiplier is this, oh no, but I'm never allowed to go back to the, sto- go back to the table. Uh, that, that's not accurate. Every multiplier still has table time in their life. You know what I mean by that? In other words, you still have in your life brothers and sisters in Christ who encourage you, who spur you on, who pray for you as you pray for them. Yes, as we move to multipliers, we're engaging folks who are not where we are in our journey, but that is not to the exclusion of those who can encourage us as well. And so the point of getting up from the table is not that we never spend any minutes at the table, it's that we don't get stuck at the table. So I hope that will encourage you that there is for all of us a place in our life where we're gone. It's like this, if you know some names in the New Testament, there's a place for all of us in our lives to have a a Barnabas, a person who is... We're not discipling. We are coming along with. They're, they're partners, if you will, in the ministry. And so uh, I hope if, if you're seeking to be a multiplier uh, that you do have table time in your life. Because if, if you all hear no table time, what can happen is you end up becoming just kind of a, a laborer, feel like I'm just a worker here and I'm still a son of God, a child of God, still part of a family of God. So I hope that helps as we understand this analogy. So what we're going to do now in this series is we're going to look specifically at what it means to become a Christ follower. What is the whole process of moving from when a person is dead in their sins, what will need to take place in order that for them to become a Christ follower? For some of you, this is part of the journey that you're on right now. Others of you, this, has been, this is part of the past of your journey, but you're involved with some folks who are on that journey of becoming a Christ follower. And the most important First step in becoming a Christ follower is answering this question. The question of God. That might seem most basic, and it is, but listen, most basic is almost always also most important. And sometimes we in efforts to move ahead and we're past the basics, we end up forgetting most important. So we're gonna start this morning with God. 
A.W. Tozer simply says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God, all right, just what, when, when you think God, what do you think? What comes into your mind when you think about God is, is the most important thing about us. Do you know why? Because what we think about God will determine how we interpret life. It's how we'll interpret the hard. It's how we'll, determines how we'll interpret the good. It determines how we'll interpret relationships. It'll determine how we interpret when we're wronged. See, how we think about God is most important to us because it becomes how we see this world and how we respond to this world. So when we, when we think about the question of God, two basic questions. Is there one? Is there a God? Now, Thursday night, I had a, a, a lady go, well, of course. Well, that's where she is in her journey. <laughs> but not everybody's there. And you'll never become a Christ follower until you conclude there is a God. Is there a God? The most basic question followed by then, is he involved? In other words, is there a God who actually is engaged in the affairs of life and the world? Or is there simply a God? Yes, but he is far removed. He kind of, since this is the first day of the NFL, he kind of kicked off and then he went to the bench and said, y'all figure it out. Some people feel that that's the way God is. He kicked it off, but then he stepped out of the game. How we answer those two questions will be huge in how we interpret life. So is there a God? That's what we're going to look at first this morning. But before we do, the answers to supernatural questions are, are supernatural. And so we want to, through this series, take moments before we open the scriptures together. And I'll often do this, I'll pray for us, uh, but I want us to pray together. So we're going to pray together a song that Matt's going to lead us. Uh, so it's just not me praying, it's inviting the Lord to speak to us. So let's make this our prayer as we begin to look at the question of God.
That's a, that's a good prayer. Yeah. So join me in Genesis 1-1 now. We're going to begin with the question of God. I'm going to begin where the scripture begins, where it says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if you think my point is uh, there is a God because the Bible says there is a God, it does, but that's not my point from Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I simply want us to see from this verse that there is a God because... There are heavens, and there is an earth. In other words, the presence, the very presence of the earth, the very presence when you go out at night and look up into the sky, the very presence of what we see and what is around, around us in this universe demands the existence of God. The fact that there is something requires there there must be whether we are in agreement whether the the person you're talking with at work is in agreement that it is the god of the bible that's another question but the fact that there is a universe demands that there is a god the bible says there is but even if you don't believe the Bible, the earth demands it. From uh, the beginning, what triggered the Big Bang? The quest to understand the origin of the universe seems destined to continue until we can answer a deeper question. Why is there anything at all instead of nothing? Now, that's not seeking to be profound. It's simply seeking to be logical. If there's something, then there had to be before that something, something. Why? Something cannot come from nothing. Something cannot come from nothing. So my point where I'm simply want us to begin about the question of God is yes, we who believe the Bible understand that the something that began what we see in this universe is who we would call creator God. But even if you're not prepared to believe in the Bible, the universe demands that there must be something because something can't come from nothing. You might know the name Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins, a famous atheist, wrote a very popular book back in the early 2000s, The God Delusion. So you can see where he's coming from. But he even admits this. Of course it's counterintuitive that you can get something from nothing. Of course, Common sense doesn't allow you to get something from nothing. That's why it's interesting. 
Now, what that means, I have no idea. (laughs) It's got to be interesting in order to give rise to the universe at all. No, it doesn't have to be interesting. It has to be something, right? (laughs) Interesting isn't something. It has to be something. To which he then, after he says this statement, which I say, I have no idea what that means. He then starts finally with something. Yes, now here. Yes, something, but he just doesn't want to acknowledge something pretty mysterious had to give rise to the origin of the universe. So acknowledging there, though you will not prepare to believe that is the God of the Bible, you, you agree there has to be something. He wants to call it interesting and mysterious, but it's still something (laughs) because something can't come from nothing. There must be what we understand as an eternal, this is why the eternality of God matters, there must be an uncaused cause. Which is interesting and mysterious, but it's more than that. And again, as ones who have embraced the scripture, the scripture declares this. The heavens are telling of the, not the interesting God, not the mysterious God, but the the glory of God. See, the heavens go out at night and look into the sky And you won't just go interesting, you won't just go mysterious, you'll go, wow, that's that's glorious. Their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. The universe demands, you with me? The universe demands the existence of God. There, There has to be an uncaused cause. And the universe reveals that that uncaused cause is glorious. Not just interesting, not just mysterious, glorious. And the glory is revealed, the glory of the uncaused cause, what we understand to be the God of the Bible, the glory is revealed when he says, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth the host by number. He calls them all by name because of the greatest, because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is, is missing. It really is. I know we consider coming in here and together and gathering and singing and then opening the scriptures. We call this a worship service. Uh, sitting out in your deck Looking up at the stars, that can be a worship service. That can be, that is a, a worship service. Go walk on the beach, that's, that's a worship service. A walk in the woods, it's a worship service. I never really thought about that way, but uh, years ago my, when my kids were young, we went with my dad, we met him in North Carolina on vacation, and on a Sunday morning, we took a long walk through the woods. 
and my dad was not a churchgoer. But we got back to a little house we were staying in, and he said, that's the best worship service I've been to in a long time. You see, the universe and all its expanse It says, it screams, there's a God. And I want, you to, I want you to understand that we sometimes, because of science, we live in this world as, as Christ followers as if we are, we're lacking intellect to believe that there's a God. It is not lacking intellect to believe that there's a God. It's actually illogical to not believe. There's a God. Everything about this world screams there's a God, and He is glorious. The expanse of the universe reveals that part of His glory is His infinite power. Now, did you see that in the text that I just showed you? Uh, if you missed it, let me go back. Uh, because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them, not one of the stars is missing. Uh, the expanse to look, to look into the sky reveals the infinite power of God. You know, some of the best things that has happened in our world is the continual development in science of greater and greater, more powerful telescopes. Don't ever be afraid that science will somehow discover some instrument, somewhat, something that's gonna disprove the existence of God. I might be concerned about their conclusions. I will never be concerned about what they are able to observe because the more they observe, the more it will scream. What? Glory of God, infinite power here. And it's just not the, the expanse of it. Our Bible tells us that this uncalls cause, who we know is to be the God of the Bible. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. So he's simply talking sun, moon, and stars. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. Now that not only shows infinite power, but do you understand this word? is a significant word. God placed them. Meaning, it matters where they got put in this world, right? I don't know if you remember seventh grade, but seventh grade, till right around that, maybe fifth grade, if you were an advanced student, you learned a little less than 93 million miles away, the sun from the earth. Would have it made a difference if during creation, God would have said, let's just round up. We'll just make it 100 million. <laughs> yeah, that would have made a difference. Let's round down, make it not. That would have made a difference. Apart from the placement by God of the light called the sun in our sky makes the difference of whether we freeze or fry. 
right? And, and it is so precise that if you live in Florida and it's May and you spend eight hours on the beach and you didn't put sunscreen on, you pay the price. That's how close the margin is. That, is, is that not amazing? <laughs> wow. What am I saying? I'm simply saying the universe not only screams the infinite power of God, the design of the universe reveals the infinite wisdom of God. <laughs> and this, this is why coming back to the basics, what we believe about God is the most important thing about us. Because if you ever looked at your life and thought, man, this is just so big in my life right now. And then interpreted it through what you believe about God and realized what's big to you God is not overwhelmed by. I mean, really, that, that's why going out, looking at the sky, going to the beach and watching the waves roll in, roll in, roll in, roll in, go back, roll in, go into Niagara Falls. And you've been to Niagara Falls and watched the amount of water that pours over and not ask yourself, how does that not run out? <laughs> that's what I did. I was like, how does that not run out? That, that is one crazy faucet. That just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. And to look at that and go, I don't know, Lord, if you can handle what's happening with my children. <laughs> See, that's foolish, isn't it? It is. When we see God rightly, that's what matters most, how we see God. Because it, it determines how we interpret everything else going on in our life. So big, so wise. Here's a good, great reminder of that.
Amazing. How could we look and conclude there isn't a God who is infinitely powerful, infinitely wise? And the stuff that, I don't know what you tried to watch there, the pictures or the words, there's too much to watch all at once there, but I was struck this morning, after the Milky Way comes a galaxy neighborhood. (laughs) Think about your neighborhood, and then think about the galaxy neighborhoods. And that wasn't the biggest, that was just the one that struck me as next. And then a quark, I don't remember, we're learning about quarks, but... uh, so big, so infinite. Power and wisdom. The, the scripture says it like this. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, who he is, his eternal power and divine nature, an uncaused cause, have been clearly seen, being understood How? through what has been made. Paul in Romans 1 is simply saying this. Can I have your eyes? He's simply saying this. Set this aside for a moment and just go look outside and you'll see God. He is, period, he is. Is there a God? There must be, friends. There must be. Now, remember, we're all on a journey. Some of you, you can't even actually remember a time on your journey towards growing in likeness, into the likeness of Christ where you didn't believe there was a God. Some of you would go, I've kind of always believed there was a God. I've never wrestled with that question. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to work with and living beside and have people in our family, people who are wrestling with that question. Don't dismiss it as silly. Everybody gets to be part of their own journey. And we don't help people when we're dismissive of that's stupid to even ask that question. No. Don't feel stupid for believing in God. And don't treat people who don't think there is a God as stupid. Just help them see the universe demands. There is a glorious uncaused cause. It's it's the fact that, that we're all at different places on our journey of why we do what we call Alpha and Discovery Bible Study. There are settings, both two different type of settings. Both happen on Thursday night where there's an opportunity to say, uh, let me see what the scripture actually says, or let me ask my questions around a, a table, over a meal. This is a vital part of the journey towards Christ's likeness for so many folks. So let me just encourage you again. This, this is going on now every Thursday night, 6.30 here on campus. This will be starting up soon, Thursday night on campus. If it would serve you, understand. One of the greatest gifts we give is the gift of meeting each other where we are in our journey without judgment.
And one of the greatest gifts we can do is to simply say, I don't have to tell you what the Bible says. If you're willing to read it, the Bible has the capacity to speak for itself. And so many have discovered through discovery Bible study, wow, I had no idea how clearly God has revealed himself in the scriptures. I've always heard people talk about the Bible, but never actually looked at it for myself. So if you have interest for yourself or someone else as part of their journey or your journey, go by our guest reception that Tracy talked about. Go online, find about how you can get involved in these. This is part of the journey. So the last thing we want to look at regarding the question of God this morning is, okay, he is, I think that's evident, he is, what's he like? And so we want to look at the nature of God revealed by his actions. You understand what I mean by that? The nature of God, we learn what someone is like by what they do. When I was a junior in college, a new girl named Jackie transferred in, and I was immediately interested, but I wanted to find out what she was like. So actually, instead of asking her out on a date immediately, I just watched to see who she would hang out with, what she would do, and did she actually ever study? I just kind of watched for a while. Now, you may think, you stalked her? <laughs> well, that would be a rude way of saying it. But yes, I wanted to see. <laughs> yes, I wanted to see what she would do because it would reveal who she was, right? Yeah. Some of us would learn better by going, anybody can put on until they don't know they're being watched. So that's not being rude. That's just being smart. So what do, we, what do we find out about God? Some of you are very nervous about that, but don't be worse. What do we find out about God by what he has done? So but we started in Genesis 1.1. Let's look at verse 2. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And let me just jump down quickly to the end of chapter 1, verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So what's God like based on what we see there? Here's my first observation. We see that God in this is not an object. He's not an object. Why? Because we see God moving. We see God speaking. We see God seeing. We see God creating. We see God separating. And we see God blessing. See, I learn about my God, the one who is there by what he does. 
And he's not just an object to be worshipped. When he moves, speaks, sees, creates, separates, and blesses, that sounds a lot like a, a person. He's not an object. God is revealed by his moving, his speaking, his seeing, his creating, and then his making of distinction by separating and his blessing. Chapter two says, by the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. When it says God completed his work, what does that tell us? That his work had a, a goal, a purpose. You ever gone home from work before you had completed your work? Yeah, you were like, I'm not done, but I'm, well, I'm not finished, but I'm done. <laughs> you went home before, when God completed, he went, I'm, I'm finished with what I started. This is, this was for me very easily understood Wednesday night. My uh, three grandkids, three of my grandkids who live up in South Carolina came in and with my wife. And the first thing my oldest grandson does is take a big box of Legos and dumps it out and says, pop, pop, let's make Legos, which is not a great thing in my world, but it's a fantastic thing in his world. So we start building. You remember doing Legos? Okay. What do you need when you do Legos? <laughs> Patience, right, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's build something. You need a, an idea, something to uh, create. If you just start randomly putting blocks together, at one point, Joseph's gonna look to me and go, Papa, what is it? Because he understands when we're building, we're not just randomly putting stuff together. We are striving towards something, a, some object, some completion. Seventh day, God completed his work. He, he looked at something far greater than Legos and went, that's really good. I'm done with that part. I've completed, I'm gonna take a rest. That's awesome. What's it tell me about our God? He's not a force. He's not like electrical current that if you just plug something in, it'll always give you the same thing the same way. It's not a force. God acts with a purpose and will. So it's demonstrated in creation. He has a purpose. Verse two, if you missed it, the earth was formless and void. And what did he spend two and a half days doing? Forming it. And the rest of the time, filling it. See, God was actually very logical. Formless and void, let me form it. Light, darkness. Earth, atmosphere, land, water. Mm, good form, let's fill it. That's what God did. Formed it and filled it. He acted with purpose 
and a will. And according to numbers, later after humanity goes off the rails, he says, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Do you know why the Lord rested on the seventh day when he said it was completed? You know why? Because this was true. All the earth had been filled with the glory of the Lord. From the expanse of the universe to the detail of the cork, it all screamed the glory of God. Let me make it personal for a moment. There's nothing random going on in your life. Nothing. God is working with purpose, with a very specific will in your life. You may not understand it, may beyond your comprehension. There's times I don't even like it because I don't understand it. But know this, what you think, what comes to your mind when you think about God, most important thing about you, when I think about God, I think he is purposeful in everything he does in my life. It will free you from bitterness, anger, rage, frustration. God has in all things a purpose in this world and to the very intimate details of your life. That makes a difference. That makes a huge difference in my life when I think that about my God. And I see that, that that's what he's like because of what he did as the uncaused cause. Chapter two, verse seven says this about our God. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. And the Lord God said, it's not good. First time, everything had been good and very good this first time. It's not good for the man to be alone. So I'll make it good. I'll make him a helper, suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. That is fantastic, folks. Is there a God? <laughs> Everything in our world screams yes. Is he involved? <laughs> Intimately. We know what he's like because what he has done, he is not distant. He didn't kick off and head to the bench to watch it unfold. He's not distant. God came near, really near, and demonstrated love. Maybe you've never thought about that, but when he created man, he demonstrated 
love for man. He gave him a place to live. He gave him a job to do. He gave him boundaries to live in. And he gave him a person to share life and enjoy life with. He came near and he demonstrated love. What is our God like? He's present. Yes, he is. No, he's not distant. He is present and actively involved with humanity. What do you think about God? What comes to your mind when you think about God? I think present. I think actively involved. Working with purpose and will in your life. This is why we hold on to as one of our most precious promises. As disciples of Jesus, God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's not a cliche. It's at the very heart of what we believe about who our God is based on what he has done. He's present. He's actively involved in your life. And never more present and never more actively involved with humanity than this. That for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's present. God becoming man. That's actively involved. That whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. In other words, God became present. And God was actively involved so that you and I might live life as God created us to live it. And we're going to see that unfold. But I, I want us to understand there is a God. And we're not fools to believe it. <laughs> we have a world around us on our side that demands he is and he has demonstrated he loves you God loves you he has not abandoned you he has not forgotten you he has not kicked off and said do your best he's present and so I want us to simply close our time together in the song of declaring the greatness of our God and his love for us in the sending of his son. And ask you, do you believe in him? Do you believe in his son who he sent? It is his invitation to a relationship with you. Lord, as we worship you now in song, we wanna thank you for the greatness of your love demonstrated for us in Jesus.
Thank you that you are present. Thank you that you are working. And thank you that we can trust you. For the simple reason. You love us, and you could not love us more. We give you our praise. Let's stand together. Come all you weary, come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the water, come and thirst no more. sinners come find his mercy come to the table he will satisfy taste of his goodness find what you're looking for for God so
you can open up the scriptures and let it speak to you, maybe it's Discovery Bible Study or Alpha with a group of people to talk about those things, I want to encourage you to do that. There's, there's no better decision than to, to chase after and follow God. Uh, learn more. Um, he will change your life. He changed mine. He changed many of us in this room, and we know that he'll do that for you. Uh, if we can pray for you in any way, there's men and women between the auditoriums that would love to pray with you individually if you would like that. Uh, I hope you have a great rest of the day. God bless. Thanks for being here.